What's my favorite dog? When you die and get what to is, heaven, like, what do you want God to, to say, say to you? you? Like, I, uh, loved, I loved his, like, questions. They were so good. I know. My my favorite one was, like, what's your favorite swear word? Mine would be motherfucker. Yeah? What's yours? Fuck. I love it. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Nat is Fascinated podcast. This is the very first episode. <laughs> Yay! I did it. I'm having the courage to suck at something new. Love it. Love it. So thank you so much for uh, being patient with me, uh, listeners. Thank you so much. Uh, my name is Nat, and I'm doing this podcast because uh, everybody has a great story. Yeah. And I'm absolutely fascinated by the people around me. Uh, some people I know better, some people I don't know, but let's uh, reconnect or let's start a new connection. So for my very first episode, I needed someone kind of a big deal. <gasps> am I a big deal? You're a big deal. I am? Oh, wow. My first guess, everyone, is the current United States of America, Mrs. Arizona Jennifer Ruddle. What? be confetti or something like there are right Why? Confetti. You can't, this you, is, your listeners can't see it there's, there's, confetti, there's cannons. confetti there's balloons there's champagne fountains red carpets there's paparazzi see, photo 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 oh no it's there it's so there it's amazing <laughs> well thank you so much for inviting me to your beautiful home by the way you have done such a great job thank you so much thanks for coming over oh absolutely so let's get started. Yay. I'm so excited to be the first guest. You are. And um, I think it's important that I, my first guest be someone that I'm comfortable with. So thank you for being oh. a wonderful friend for over a decade. I know. Is that crazy? We're not old enough to be <laughs> friends <that long> <laughs> I know, but over a decade. So you being the first is really special. Thank you oh, so much. Thank you. So where were you born? I was born in Bronxville, New York. You're a New Yorker? I am. I am. <laughs> do you come from a big family? You know, I don't. I'm an only child. Mm -hmm. um, I do have a stepbrother and stepsister, but we weren't really raised together. Mm -hmm. um, my parents divorced when I was three. And so, you know, I was kind of, you know, it's just me and my mom for a long time. And uh, I do have cousins that I'm really close to, which are more like siblings right. than cousins. So I appreciate that, but I'm, I think I'm very much in, I've got that only child syndrome too. So yeah, yeah, there's a little bit of that in there. What did your dad do? My dad was a wallpaper hanger for a long time. And then um, later on, he became a pressure washer, always owned his own business. And he recently just retired. Oh, how um, Yeah, with COVID and everything, he just decided that it was time. And, and so yeah, he's retired now. What did your mom do? My mom um, went to school to be a nurse, so yeah, she did that for, for a really long time. And then she was a stay-at-home mom, too. I think she started staying home when I was around. She got remarried when I was seven or eight, yeah. and um, yeah, was a stay-at-home mom for a long time. Do you know what kind of nursing that she did? She went to the Bryman School. That I, was like a really long time ago, out here, actually. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, yeah. I she's she, a nurse. I know, yeah. I couldn't handle that. I, me either. I, I can't handle blood. And, and No. Yeah. Not my thing at all. That, okay. is, that is definitely a job that I would never want to have. I have so much respect for medical professionals, but it's definitely no. not something I could do. I gag at wet cat food. Yeah, yeah. I, I understand <laughs> that. I, um, I pass out if I see like the tiniest drop of blood. 
I will get dizzy and nauseous and, and could easily pass out. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. Good times. Good times. I'll try to keep everything not bleeding in Just front of you. Just don't bleed in front of me and we're good. I'll yes. do what I can. Now you are married. I am. To? Brian Ruddle. Oh, how <laughs> long have you been married? We started dating in September of 2000. We got married in 2003. So we've been married for 17 years. How did you meet? We met at work. It's, it's <laughs> kind of like, I know, like, we don't have this, like, crazy story, but, um, you know, I graduated college and I was working for a temp agency and they sent me on this job at a real estate investment company and I was only supposed to be there for a couple of weeks and on my second day, one of the owners offered me the job um, permanently. And I took it because I was getting ready to move out of my parents' house. I was moving into my first apartment and I needed money. I needed an income. And it was an adult job. It wasn't anything like what I was looking for. I, you know, had gotten my degree in theater and I was trying to get a, a job in theater, which, you know, back in 2000 was not easy. And so I took this administrative job thinking, okay, well, it, you know, it was a steady income and I'd just be there for a little while. And yeah, so Brian was there. He was the controller at the time. And it's funny, everybody used to tease me, um, Brian and I are very different. I'm very outgoing and loud. He's very quiet and, and uh, more of an introvert. And yes. when I started working there, Brian would come in in the morning and he would come by my desk and say hi and ask me how I was doing. And some of the other women in the office would tease me. They're like, you know, I think he likes you. And I'm like, why? <laughs> and they said, because you're the only person in the office that he talks to. Um, Brian, he just wasn't like that. He would come in go to his office and, and do his job and, and work all day. And he didn't socialize a lot except with me. And so, yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was fun. And, and yeah, that's, that's kind of how we met. Well, know that the plan is with this podcast is to have, um, episodes just dedicated to couples. So it's going to be like, a, love that a couple. It's going to be Couples Corner. I love it. Uh, so I may have to get both of you on and get Mr. Brian's take on yes, things. Yes, we will definitely, we will <laughs> definitely do that. I can tell you we have, um, and, and I won't ruin it for the next time, yeah. but um, our first date, um, oh, we, you know, it. we had met and we, you know, we're working together in the office and I, I had a crush on him. He's a good looking guy. And so I'd been trying to get him to, you know, ask me out and... I found out that, you know, what kind of music he listened to. And I was like, oh, you know, I know this band. And, you know, if you're ever interested, we could, you know, go see my friend's band. And what I didn't tell him was that um, I was seeing the lead singer of the band at the time. It was not a, a you know, <laughs> like a, an, an independent relationship where, you know, we were, you know, in this serious relationship or anything. But so Brian finally agreed, you know, to go out with me and to go see my friend's band. Yeah. So. He came to pick me up on our first date and we got in the car and I said, there's something I need to tell you. And he said, okay, like what's going on? And I said, well, the band we're going to see, I'm sort of seeing the lead singer. And he paused for a moment and he looked at me and he said, is this going to be a problem? And I said, oh no, it'll, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. And he said, okay, let's go. And so I just, I knew he was the one for me after that. Like it was only us that would happen to. So. Oh my God. Good times. We still joke about it now. Oh no. And I'm still friends with 
the guy, like, we're, he's a great guy, and, and we're still... Spends all this time? Yep. Oh. yep. And, and he, yeah, he's great. He thinks Brian's great. And, oh, yeah. that's, I can't yeah. wait. Okay, definitely <laughs> in the future, you and Brian are doing the podcast, because I can't wait to hear his side yes. of the first date. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ooh, he tells tell the story a little, a little differently. differently than I do. Nice. Nice, 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 nice. Oh, I can't wait now. Yeah. Um, so, you guys don't have children. Yet. Right. Yet. Who is Izzy? Oh, Izzy is our fur child. <laughs> Isabella Fiona Ruddle. Um, she's our boxer. Um, we, she's 12 years old. We've had her for 11 and a half years. We got her when she was um, about six months old. She was a rescue. We knew that we wanted a boxer. We had done a lot of research on the breed and we decided to foster for a boxer rescue. So we could kind of get to know other dogs, you know, in person. Mm -hmm. And um, the first rescue that we had, she got adopted after like two weeks, and I was just heartbroken. Her name was Stella. I still remember oh, all this time Stella. ago. Stella. She was such a sweetheart. And then our second rescue, um, she was only six years old. She had stomach cancer, mm. and her name was Hope. And she passed away in my arms, and oh, I was wow. devastated. And I said, I can't foster anymore. It's too hard. And one of the other fosters called me, and she said, you know, um, oh, I'm going to get emotional. That's okay. She said, you know, her last days were in a loving home, being fed food, being loved on and doted on and treated so well. Mm -hmm. She didn't die on a cold cement floor in a shelter. Right. And that had so much of an impact on me that I said, okay, I, I have to keep doing this. I have to foster again. Um, so the next foster that came in was, was this um, flashy, um, <laughs> brindle, six-month-old boxer with no name. Oh. And, yeah, she didn't have a name. She had been with another family, but, but we didn't know what her name was. They said that she was a little food-aggressive. And so we said, okay, you know, we'll give her a shot. And I think after like a week, Brian was just like, she's the one, like she's, Aww. she's our baby. And so we adopted her and yeah, here she is, you know, 11 and a half years, years later. later. Well, I know how much she, like, we are people with no kids. So these fur babies, they're our kids. Yeah. Yeah. I often joke that people who know me on social media probably know more about my dog than they know about me <laughs> because most of my posts are about her and her <laughs> adventures and she travels with us yeah. and yeah it, it's it's everything I mean she's been to Mexico and Las Vegas and California yep and yeah she, anywhere we can take her we do she had a little coffee adventure she did um <laughs> just just recently I um you know I, I like my coffee in the morning and um a few weeks ago I had put my coffee down on the ottoman and I went to go throw a load of laundry in and when I came back my coffee mug was empty I thought for a minute that maybe I drank <laughs> it and forgot because you know I'm getting up there in age and maybe you know I'm getting forgetful and um Isabella was, was sitting on the couch and I looked over at her and she had this little coffee mustache and 
So the coffee thief was, was caught. Um, but I have to say it was so funny. She didn't yeah. knock the mug over. She didn't spill anything. Um, <laughs> was it full? It or was. It was oh. a brand new cup of coffee. Um, creamer and everything. And, oh. and she drank the entire thing. Like I said, never knocked the mug over. Didn't spill it any anywhere. The only reason um, she got caught was that little drop on that little lower lip. So... So how does she like her coffee? Um, she likes it light. Okay. <laughs> she, she likes it with cream and sugar. Um, is it flavored creamer? It is flavored creamer. I believe it was probably coconut. Um, oh. Yeah. A little yeah, coconut. Yeah. She's like her mommy, right? Isn't that? <laughs> That's, the, that photo was priceless. Oh, she's, she's so funny. And it's, you know, it's not the first time she's done it. She's done it before. Um, but with just coffee the, or something else? With coffee. With coffee, yeah. But this was the first time that, like, I caught her, you know, with red, it on, red-handed. I mean, with it on her face. Coffee hand, coffee, coffee face, faced. Right. Hashtag coffee faced. Yes. Um, so was she, was she zoomy after? No. That was so funny. Everybody kept asking me that, um, thinking that she was going to have, like, this burst of energy afterwards. No, she laid down on the couch and took a nap, and she was... Really? Yeah, no, nothing, no issues, nothing. She's, um, yeah, she's, she's my little miracle doggy. Jeez. If I had, I, I don't drink coffee, so if I had oh. some coffee, I'd be like, let's do five marathons right now. Isn't that funny? <sighs> no, being from New York, you know, I grew up on coffee. I mean, we have coffee all day long. I mean, you know, the coffee pot is always on, on. and there's always an available cup. Yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, even to this day, like, that's that's how I am, too. I mean, I have coffee in the morning, I have coffee in the afternoon, yeah. But do, do you have to stop drinking coffee at a certain time? You know what's so funny? For the longest time, I could drink coffee up until midnight and, and still go to sleep and be fine. Oh. But about a year ago, I started having some insomnia and I switched over to tea and I don't have those issues anymore. Is it decaf tea or regular tea? No, it's regular tea. But, like, for some reason, um, it's chamomile, though. So oh, like, oh, okay. I, for some reason, um, I can drink coffee all day, but then I switch I switch over at night to I have a cup of chamomile before bed, and I sleep much better now. Well, Izzy's going to enjoy your tea as yes, well, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> She's going to have, like, the tea bag uh -huh. hanging out of her mouth one exactly. day. Exactly. <laughs> I wouldn't doubt it. I wouldn't doubt it. Well, Izzy also had um, a kind of important uh, job the past couple of years. She did. Yes. She did. She has been my little um, emotional support doggy. Yes. Um, yeah, and, and she's done a, a very good job. <laughs> I can see that. Her snoring is very soothing. Yes. Well, um, since we're on that path, yes. three years pretty much to the day. Day. Almost coming up on, on that three-year anniversary, yeah. What happened three years ago, Jennifer? So, um, in September and October okay. of 2017, um, my husband and I were traveling a lot. Mm -hmm. We went to Belize in September. We came back um, the following week. We went to California. We got back from California the following week I went to Las Vegas Came back from Las Vegas the following week. I went to Alaska. Um, so it was trip after trip after Heck trip. yeah. And I got back from Alaska on a Sunday, and I woke up on Monday morning, and I wasn't feeling so great. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was the flu. Um, so, you know, I thought, okay, no reason to go to the doctor. It's, I got a little bit of a cold. 
all the traveling, it just got to me, it wore me down and I just need to rest and I'll feel better. So this went on for about a week and my husband finally said, you know, you really should get in to see the doctor. So I went to urgent care and they gave me some antibiotics and sent me on my way. And about a week later, I still wasn't feeling any better. So again, my husband said, you, you need to get in to see your primary care doctor. So I did on a Friday morning, I went to see my primary care doctor. He ran some tests and he did a blood test and he said, you know, um, it's Friday. I'm gonna try and get the test results back today. I'll try and rush them through, but you may not hear from me till Monday. Mm -hmm. So he said, okay, you know, no problem. I'm just gonna go home and rest. So that evening around 4.30, um, I got a call from my doctor and he said, I don't wanna scare you, but I got your blood results back and you have half the hemoglobin in your body that you should have. Um, I think normal hemoglobin is 12 to 13 and I was at seven. Sure. Right, so he said what that means is you could have a heart attack or a stroke at any minute. Your organs could start to shut down. He said, you need a blood transfusion. And as we talked about just a few minutes ago, I am terrified of blood. I'm terrified of needles. So I said, well, that, that can't be right. Like, is there something else I can do? Can you just give me some antibiotics? And he said, no, Jennifer, please listen to me and please take this seriously. I need you to go to the emergency room right now. And I said, well, my husband's not home. And he said, I will call him at work and tell him to drop everything he's doing and come home right now. So he knew it was serious. Um, so Brian came home and he said, okay, you know, we have to go to the emergency room. And I said, well, no. Oh. I, I don't really want to go. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> and Brian said, Jen, I, I talked to your doctor. You need to go. This is very serious. So he convinced me to go to the emergency room and we went and we checked in. And, you know, when you check in, they ask you what's going on and mm -hmm. why you're there. So we told them that I had a blood test. My hemoglobin was at seven. My doctor sent us. He said I needed a blood transfusion. Um, and they said, okay. And we, they took us back immediately in a full waiting room full of people. So I, I knew it had to be pretty serious. Mm -hmm. So the next uh, 24 hours was kind of a blur. They got me checked into the hospital because it was at night by this time. And they said, you know, you're going to need to stay overnight. A blood transfusion is not a one hour thing and you go home. So they got me checked in and they set up the blood transfusion and they said, we need to find out why you're losing blood. So I had some x-rays, I had an MRI and they said, we see a mass in your colon. And so we were going to do a colonoscopy. So I said, okay. Um, they took me in for a colonoscopy and an endoscopy. They were going to go down my throat too to check out my stomach. So I woke up from that. Um, it was about, a, a, I think like the next day that they did that or, or two days later. And I remember I woke up from that surgery and I, I remember when they told me that they found the mass, I thought that's great. Go in, get it out and I can go home. So when I woke up from surgery, the doctor said, um, you know, we did a biopsy and I don't have the results back yet, but I've seen this before and I'm 99% sure that it's cancer. Mm. 
And I remember looking at Brian and my best friend Jen was there as well. And I said, it's, it's not cancer. He's wrong. It may look like cancer, but it's not. I'm not worried. The biopsy is going to come back benign. It's, it's not cancer. So they got the test results back and it was cancer. Wow. So they said, you know, now that we know, you know, that you have this, this mass there, they said, we need to see, we saw some spots on your lungs when we did x-rays and we need to see if it's metastasized and moved to your lungs. And I said, of course it hasn't. Like, this is all ridiculous. I, I was so ready to go home. I couldn't believe that this was even happening. Mm -hmm. And I was very much in denial that it was going on. Mm -hmm. So they took me in for a biopsy. They said that there were, I believe, five or six spots on my lungs. And they said most people in Arizona have spots on their lungs, belly fever, bronchitis. So they said it, it probably isn't metastasized, but we need to check. And only one of the spots was large enough, just barely large enough for them to biopsy. So they did a lung biopsy, which is not fun. Oh. But I went through that. The needle goes in through your back. Um, and you're, you know, uh, semi-conscious. You know, you're out, but you, you're in like that twilight phase. Okay. So they did that, and I said, it's not going to come back as cancer. And it came back as cancer. So at that point, they sent an oncologist in to talk to me who said, um, the first thing is that we need to let you know it's stage four. So I said, okay, what does that mean? Well, stage four means that, you know, you have localized cancer that has spread to a faraway organ. And stage four is, is the highest that it goes. So I said, okay, so what does that mean? And they said, well, um, the initial tumor is in your colon, so it's considered colorectal cancer. And with stage four colorectal cancer, the odds of survival are 11%. So he said, I, I don't know what, what does that mean? The odds of the cancer surviving, the odds of the tumor surviving, I, I don't know what that means. And they said, no, the odds of you surviving you have a five-year survival rate. And I said, so you're telling me that I'm going to die in the next five years. And the oncologist said, yes, that's what I'm saying. Holy crap. Yeah. Um, at the time, I was 41. Yeah. I had no risk factors. I had no colon cancer in my family that I was aware of. Um, so this was all a huge shock. Mm -hmm. um, I, I couldn't. It, it was a lot to wrap my head around. So the next thing that happened was a surgeon came in to talk to me and said, you need a emergency colostomy bag. And I said, well, what's that? And they said, well, that's where we divert your colon to a wall in your stomach and it will output into a bag outside your body. And I said, no, I, I'm not... I don't want that. And he said, well, if, if you don't do it, you're going to go into sepsis and die. And I said, okay, then I'll go into sepsis and die. Wow. So my husband was there and said, that's, <laughs> that's not, not going to happen. happen. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're not going to do that. And he said, so, you know, we need, we need to do this. Yeah. We need to save your life. And luckily he had somebody in his office, um, who had had a similar experience, not from cancer, but from um, Crohn's disease. 
And this person came to my hospital room and talked to me and, and was really wonderful and Good. very helpful in not necessarily having me make peace with it, but helping me understand a little bit more. So I had the surgery. Um, it was very difficult on me. I was in the hospital for 15 days. I had a secondary infection from the cancer because the original tumor had gone through um, a wall and was like leaking into my body, <gasps> causing another infection. So I was on IV antibiotics for, I believe, 14 days. Um, I left the hospital. I had lost almost 20 pounds. And like listeners, the lady's tiny. <laughs> okay. She, she's like, where can you get 20 pounds? It was, I will never forget, you know, you're in the hospital and they're telling you all this and you're trying to take it in. And I didn't, I didn't feel sick. Mm -hmm. I, I knew that, that there was something wrong. I, I kind of felt fluish, but I didn't feel... I have cancer and I'm going to die sick. Yeah. And the day they were taking me in for surgery, I just wanted a shower. I had already been in the hospital for about a week and I really wanted to take a shower. So I went into the bathroom and I remember I, I took my hospital gown off and I looked in the mirror and you could see every bone in my body. Wow. And I, I broke down at that point because okay. at that point I, I looked sick. Mm -hmm. My skin looked pale and gray. I looked skeletal. I, I looked sick. Mm -hmm. And so that was a scary moment for me. Mm -hmm. So, like I said, after being in the hospital for 15 days, losing almost 20 pounds, Brian takes me home and, you know, we started researching cancer facilities, um, oncologists. We knew that I didn't want to go to the oncologist that they introduced me to in the hospital. Yep. Because that person had already told me that I was going to die. Right. And for my husband and I, we wanted a doctor who was going to give us hope. If, even if it was 1% chance, we knew that we had to work with somebody that was going to work with us and, and have that, that hope in, in their heart and give it to us. Mm -hmm. So we found a cancer center and we went and met with them. We were happy with, with the doctors there. So... I started chemotherapy in December, I believe. I did two rounds of chemotherapy, mm -hmm. um, IV chemotherapy. Okay. And it was very difficult on me. I remember you mentioning that. Yeah. It, it, was, it was very, very tough. I, I wasn't throwing up, mm -hmm. but I, would, I had neuropathy in my hands and feet. I was having really bad leg cramps that would keep me up all night. I had really bad cold sensitivity. Um, I had really bad diarrhea, which is, you know, not fun to talk about. But Sexy talk. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> hey, it, 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 it is, is what, what it is. is. And, you know, when you've already lost 20 pounds and you're trying to put weight back on to be able to, you know, withstand the treatment, mm -hmm. um, I was losing like six pounds, oh my God. you know, in a week. And so I couldn't... I couldn't keep the weight on. So I talked to my oncologist and I said, you know, I, I don't want to do the heavy chemo anymore. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, if you don't, you're going to die. So I said, okay, well, I don't think you're the right doctor okay. for me anymore. <laughs> um, and I said, you know, I, I've done some research. There's um, a chemotherapy pill. It is not 
heavy chemo, like, like the IV I was getting, but I said, I, I want to try that and I want to try some other things. Mm -hmm. So I did switch oncologists in my same cancer center and I was on the chemo pill for, let's see, I think, um, about five months. Then I went in to talk to my doctor about radiation because that was the next step in my treatment plan. Mm -hmm. And my original oncologist, I asked him about fertility because obviously it's pelvic radiation. So I wanted to know what the side effects of that were going to be long term. And he said, oh, you still want kids? You know, you're almost 42. And I said, well, yeah, but I, I want to know that, that that option is still there. Yeah. And he said, well, you, I wish you would have told me that before. And I, I felt guilty. I felt bad because I didn't realize that I should have asked those questions. And now, years later, I know that the doctor should have talked to me about that. Because he's the one who's knowledgeable about it. I wasn't. Mm -hmm. So fortunately, he sent me to the radiation oncologist who was amazing and had that talk with me. Mm -hmm. And he said, look, I would, I would suggest that you talk to a fertility doctor. He said, you know, whether you decide to do fertility treatment beforehand or not is your decision. But I want you to be well informed. So my husband and I went to this fertility doctor and really we weren't sure what we were going to do. It, it was still, we're still in that phase that we were, we just didn't know. Mm -hmm. The fertility doctor was amazing. He gave me my options. There were several options and we decided to do embryo banking and we decided to do one round of it because it was only going to delay my treatment by, I think it was a week or two. It wasn't, it wasn't months that it was going to delay sure. treatment. So we decided to do em embryo banking and I will tell you for somebody who is afraid of needles, I had to give myself two shots a day ah! in the stomach, Oh, which was very difficult. I, uh, I learned tips and tricks that were great. Uh, the needles were very small, but it was, it was hard. It, it, was, it was really hard. It was really scary. And then we went through and did the actual embryo banking. I believe they took something like 22 eggs mm -hmm. when I did the banking, um, 17 were viable of those 17, I think 10 matured. Um, and then when they did, then they do the insemination mm -hmm. of those eggs. And then we had extra testing done just because I had already had cancer. And so we wanted to make sure that any embryo that we had was going to be viable. Mm -hmm. So we actually only, only ended up with two. But we have those two. Yep. Um, it's a girl and a boy. Ah! Which is crazy to think that, <laughs> that we have that. We can't implant until I am off all chemotherapy for at least six months. Okay. So they have been waiting for the last two years. But it's great. And we know that we have those options. Uh, we will try to implant on me. I know that there's options we could use a surrogate. Yeah. But... I would like to try first. My doctor is very conservative. He will implant one at a time. Okay. Just to be sure. And, you know, there's no guarantee. And that's okay. I... Okay. I know a lot of women that don't get that option. I have a lot of friends that I've met through this journey that have been through what I've been through that were never told about fertility options. 
and they had that taken away from them. And cancer takes so much from you. Mm -hmm. Being a parent shouldn't be one of those things. And not everybody wants that. Not everybody wants to be a parent. Not everybody wants to go through fertility. But I've met a lot of women who would have liked to have had that option and never did. So I'm so grateful that we had that option and that it's there. Yep. So. Whew. Yes, I Take know. A it's a lot. It's okay. It's a lot. Um, so after that, I did 25 rounds of pelvic radiation to 25 my tumor. 25 rounds. Ooh. And with radiation, you go every day. So I was at the cancer center every day for 25 days. And I was very fortunate. I did not have radiation burns. I didn't have a lot of side effects from the pelvic radiation. What I did have happen was I went into early menopause and that is something that they tell you can happen. One of the other options I had when I went to my fertility doctor was that they can take your embryos and they can tack them, um, they can tack your ovaries up higher out of the radiation beams. Okay. I could have done that, and it is something that we talked about, but I had already had one abdominal surgery. I knew that I was going to need more just based on what my treatment plan was, mm-hmm. and I just didn't want to go through another surgery. Mm-hmm. So I chose not to do that. Now looking back, I kind of wish I had just to give me you know, other options. But that was the choice that I made at the time, mm-hmm. and, and I'm okay with it. So we did the 25 rounds of pelvic radiation, mm-hmm. and at that point, I went back to my original surgeon, who was not part of my cancer center. And we said, okay, you know, I, I did the pelvic radiation, and now I'm ready to have my colostomy reversed. It was about... Uh, I think it was about nine months after I had had the initial colostomy. So he did a colonoscopy to make sure that everything looked good. Everything did look good. And I went to his office and I will never forget this. My husband and I were sitting in his office and he came in and he said, I hate to tell you this, but the colostomy is going to be permanent. (gasps) And I said, I I don't understand. Why? Why? And he said, well, based on where your original tumor was and how it was shaped, I just don't think that it can be reversed. And I said, well, I I don't understand. You know, I don't understand why. Can you explain to me why? And he said, I am one of the best surgeons, the, the best GI surgeons. I'm telling you that it can't be done. And you can get a second opinion, but if I can't do it, nobody can. I suggest you talk to a psychologist and get used to the fact that this is your new life. And then he got up, he walked out of the office, and he left the door open while I sat there and sobbed. Oh my goodness. It was devastating. After everything I had already been through, to hear that news was shocking. And for me, again, I at the time now I was 42, I was an actor. I was used to, you know, changing in front of people like backstage or with commercials, having fittings. And so this was really shocking to me. And I felt like this was going to really impact my, my life, my daily life. 
I've since met a lot of ostomy people who have permanent ostomies who do everything they did before. I am much smarter about it now. I know a lot more <laughs> about it. But at the time, it was it was devastating. Yes. News. So I went home and I cried. Yep. And I woke up the next day and I said, I don't accept that. I'm going to get a second opinion. And I'm going to get a third opinion and a fourth opinion and a fifth opinion. Because I truly don't feel like this is my path. Mm-hmm. So I did. I got a second opinion, a third opinion, a fourth opinion, and a fifth opinion. And oddly enough, my second opinion was at my cancer center. Okay. And the doctor said to me, he said, well, I I went in and I told him what the other surgeon had said. And he said, well, first of all, he said, we haven't gotten a CT scan or an MRI since before you had your radiation. So we don't even know what the tumor looks like anymore. So I'm not sure how anybody can say it's not reversible when, when we don't have a current picture of what it looks like. We're going off what it looked like when you were diagnosed in November. So he said, I think we should start there. He also did an exam, which was not fun, <laughs> but necessary. And he did an exam and he said, you know, Jennifer, he said, I'll be honest with you. He said... I feel like it's reversible. And I said, okay, great. So he said, let's, let's get some more tests. Let's get an image of it. And then let's come back and talk. So we did all that and we came back together and he said, from everything I'm seeing, I believe I can reverse this for you. And I said, okay. And I knew that there were, there could be a lot of complications. Um, it could cause me to be incontinent. For life, mm-hmm. which at 42 wouldn't be fun, but mm-hmm. I, I knew that there were going to there there were the uh, the chances for complications, but I had faith in this surgeon, and so I decided to go ahead with the surgery. So it was a long surgery. It was a 10-hour surgery, and it was really three surgeries in one. So what they did was he went in robotically, actually, hmm. into my abdomen, which was interesting in itself. <laughs> Hearing about how they do surgery with robotics was fascinating. So they went in and he first cut out my tumor, the main tumor that was in my colon. He cut that out. Then he reversed my colostomy. Mm-hmm. But what happens is the area needs to heal. So you can't just have it reversed and go right back to normal. So they had to reverse my colostomy and give me an ileostomy, which is, I believe the colostomy is from your large colon. I think the ileostomy is your small colon. Okay. So output is different. It takes a new set of skills to get used to a new ileostomy. So it was those three surgeries in one. It was 10 hours, Um, but I came out of it and, and I did very well. Then, about five or six weeks later, we ran some tests to see how I was healing. Mm -hmm. I was healing well, so we decided to reverse the ileostomy. And so that was, you know, the the next surgery. Oh, boy. And we did that, and it healed really well. I am fully reversed now. I have 100% normal function. I'm doing great. Confetti, confetti, confetti. Yes. (laughs) Yes, it... You know, I think, I know it's a, a, 
it's a lot, but I think for me, the takeaway on all that is, is really to get a second opinion. If you go to a doctor, and I'm not saying that, you know, a doctor is going to give you information and you don't like it. So go find somebody who's going to tell you what you want to hear, mm -hmm. but you need to feel comfortable with your doctor, with your surgeon, with anybody who's taking care of you that way. And so if you're with somebody and you're getting information that doesn't feel right, get a second opinion. You may hear the same information. That, that very well may happen. But I think it's good to be informed. I think it's good to be your own advocate. And before you go through something like that, to, to feel comfortable with it. And if they had told me that if I had gone to these other five doctors and they all said, mm -hmm. yes, he's right, and yes, this is going to be permanent, then that's something I would have had to have made my peace with. Mm -hmm. um, for me, I'm, I'm glad that I did seek out a second opinion, and it, it worked out well for me. I know that that's not the case with everybody. But I'm grateful for, for that. that. So for three, so now three years later, yes. what is your status today? Mm. Well, it feels a little weird to say this. I'm, I'm not 100% sure. Okay. So I can't give an, an exact answer. Okay. But um, after all of that, I, I had had the metastasis to my lungs, so we had to do lung radiation as well. Oh, okay. Because those were kind of spread out, and they couldn't go in and just take out one part because they were spread out. So we did that, and we thought at that point I was in remission. I went off of chemotherapy for about six months. And then what happens is when you're stage four, mm -hmm. they watch you very closely, which is wonderful. If you have a recurrence or if something else pops back up, they're able to find it pretty quickly because you get blood tests and CT scans every three months, which sounds like a lot, but it's good to be really vigilant with that. So I was off chemotherapy for about six months and my CEA, which is a blood tumor marker level, mm -hmm. started to rise. And we did scans and we didn't see anything new and nothing was growing. So we weren't really sure what was going on. So we did what's called watch and wait. And I did go back on the chemotherapy, but we were just sort of waiting to see if something new was going to pop up, if the spots in my lungs were going to start to grow. And after about a, a year, um, they did. Okay. Nothing new popped up, but we did see some growth in, in the spots that I had had before. So I spoke to my radiation oncologist, and we decided to do a, a newer type of lung radiation. And it was just a different technique. And fingers crossed that that will now take care of those spots. So I had that done in July. I had 10 days yeah. of radiation to my lungs. And about seven weeks later, I had a blood test and a CT scan. And my CEA tumor markers came down 70%. Oh, wow. So it was, it was a very big drop. Yeah. Um, it, it was the lowest they've been in the last year. Okay. So it indicates that the radiation worked and that things are dying off. I will have another blood test the beginning of November. Okay. And another scan in December. If those look good. Yeah. I will then go off of chemotherapy again and fingers crossed we'll be in remission by the end of the year. Of, t of 2020. Of 2020. 
Yeah. Oh, that'd be some amazing news. Just about, um, just over three years after this whole journey started. started. So if someone came to you today, well, let's say me, right. what advice would you give someone who had the exact same diagnosis as you? What advice would you give someone? Oh, I would say do not give up hope. Um, you know, statistics are old. Statistics don't mean anything. Um, a lot of the, the information is older information, especially somebody who is younger. A lot of statistics are based on older people because colorectal cancer used to be an older person's disease. Mm -hmm. People weren't getting colonoscopies until after 50. A lot of people weren't being diagnosed until they were later in, on in life. So it used to be thought of as an older person's disease. And younger people are getting it now because we're not being screened for it. You're not being screened unless you have it in your family. So people, I think the screening age now is 45, but even that isn't young enough. So I would say don't, don't give up hope. Stay positive. Do research. I think what helped me a lot was, you know, when you're diagnosed with a terminal illness, um, you go through a lot of emotions, um, depression, anger, like sadness. And it's very easy to get caught up in that mm -hmm. and to give up and to feel negative and feel like I'm not going to make it. So why even bother? Um, I got involved with the Colorectal Cancer Alliance and they have been a lifesaver for me. Um, I got involved with their buddy program, and so they were able to connect me to other people with similar diagnosis, similar in age, who had been through what I had been through. And so by hearing their stories and talking to them, that gave me hope because I thought, well, here's somebody like me, and they survived, and they're doing great. Yeah. So if they did it, why can't I do it? And then instead of researching how horrible cancer was... <laughs> I started researching survivors yeah. and I started reading stories of hope and survival. And I think the one thing that everybody that survived had in common was their positive outlook and was that they, they were determined not to give up. And that gave me so much hope and inspiration that I think that really fueled me going forward. And now, like I said, working with the colorectal cancer Alliance, I, and we're doing things like this, like this podcast, doing um, interviews. I hope to give that back to other people because I think hope is is just the most important thing that you can have when you're going through something like this. Has someone, because you've been on the news, you've been on TV, you've done um, articles, has anyone reached out to you to say thank you? They have. Oh, um, I know. Look, I'm going to get emotional. It's okay. I have. It, it's been really amazing. I've had people say, I saw you on, like they found me on Facebook or Instagram mm -hmm. and, and they've messaged me and said, um, I saw you on TV and I just wanted to say thank you. Like hearing your story helped me because I know someone or I went through this and you know, I said, it's so funny, when I first, when this all first happened to me, I didn't want to tell anybody. I was embarrassed. It's colon cancer. I didn't want to talk about that. I didn't I want to know. tell people. It, it felt know. so embarrassing mm -hmm. to talk about that. And then when I started finding other people who were telling me their stories, 
I thought, well, wow, if they were embarrassed and didn't want to talk about their story, they wouldn't have helped me. So I chose to put that embarrassment aside and tell my story and talk about it in hopes that I would do that for somebody else, what these people were doing for me. And so having those people reach out and tell me that I helped them made such a huge difference for me because it makes it all worth it. Nice. Yeah, absolutely. What you did with, you know, you took something negative, like having cancer, mm -hmm. and you did something so incredible, so positive, you made a big decision. You decided to go back into the pageant world. So what? how did that come about? I did. I did. It's so funny. I, you don't normally think beauty queen and colon cancer, <laughs> you know, together. But, um, you know, something I, I realized while going through this journey, you know, once I, once I gained my weight back and I started feeling a little better and being a little more social, I noticed that a lot of people were like, oh, you don't look sick. You don't look like you have cancer. And it really got me thinking about what all that means, what it means to look sick. Because a lot of us have diseases um, that, that other people don't know about. Depression, you know, anxiety, addiction. And it doesn't always look like what we think it's going to look like. So, you know, I did pageants when I was a teenager and I loved it. It was fun. At the time, it was more of a social thing. I loved meeting the other girls. I loved the activities that we used to do. It was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And as an adult, I always thought it would be great to get back involved in that, but in a different way. I thought of it more as, you know, when you're adult, when you're an adult going into a, a pageant, for me, it was more what am I doing for my community? What am I doing for the world? Mm -hmm. It's not so much about just going out and having fun. So I had thought about getting back involved in pageants for a long time, but it was always something. Mm -hmm. Oh, I want to lose weight. Oh, I'm busy with this. Oh, I just don't have, you know, the time right now or the money or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. There's always an excuse. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, you know, after going through cancer or during going through cancer, I started thinking about pageants again, and I thought, you know, you, you don't expect to see somebody and, and, and hear that colon cancer story. So I got back involved. I decided to do it, and it's been really great. I, I feel like I've got such a strong platform because, you know, my platform isn't just a one-year commitment, you know. It's, it's my life. This is who I am now. This is what I'm going through. These are my friends that are going through this. And so I feel really passionate about it. And I got involved with the United States of America system. Mm -hmm. And I competed for the state title in Arizona back in November of 2019. Mm -hmm. And I won. I was there! You were there. Thank you so much <laughs> for being there. I was there. It was, it, I have to say, it was really incredible. You know, I competed a lot as a teenager and I never won a state title. And so to win my first state title with colorectal cancer as my platform um, was really important to me. And after the state pageant, you then go on to nationals. And I worked really hard because, you know, I, I had four abdominal surgeries in a year. My body has changed a lot going through cancer, being on chemotherapy, having radiation, being on the medications that I've had to go through and the, the therapies that I've gone through. And 
for a long time I thought I would never feel comfortable in a swimsuit. I'd never feel comfortable getting up on a stage in front of people and being vulnerable that way. So my aunt, who's amazing, um, she's a former Olympic athlete. I spoke to her and I said, you know, can you, can you help me? Can you help train me? And so that I, I at least feel comfortable in, in my own skin mm -hmm. again. And I worked really hard training from the time, you know, I won the state pageant to going to nationals. And I wanted to wear a bikini at nationals, but I just didn't feel like I was going to be comfortable doing that. And the day before I left for Vegas for the national pageant, I happened to be out shopping at Target. And I, love I, Target. I it was just happened to be there getting, you know, some holiday things. And, and I saw this swimsuit and I thought, oh, that, that's cute. And I, I bought it. And I said, you know, it was a bikini. I felt good in it. And I said, I'm, I'm going to wear this on stage. And I did. And it was probably one of my proudest moments to be on that stage in front of all those people, in front of the judges, physical scars and all, because I know they couldn't see the mental scars mm -hmm. that the cancer leaves, but they could see the physical ones. And no matter what, no matter what anybody else thought, I felt good. I felt so good about how far I had come in those few years and what I had done to get there. And it, it was just a really important moment for me mm -hmm. to say, you know what, this is okay. These scars are okay. I'm okay. And I'm proud to be here and to be supporting other colorectal cancer survivors. Um, yeah, in that in that moment, it, it was it was really amazing for me. Absolutely, sadly, the the way the the pageant was divided, it was the that was on the first night. Right. I came on the second, the second night because I wanted to see the gown. Right. But uh, the photos from the bathing suit, man, it was purple, right? It was. It was purple. You yes. it with your skin tone Thank and you. everything. God, you looked gorgeous, and Thank I think you. showing the the scars was a great move. Thank you. It was, it really, I never in my life thought after what I had been through that yeah. I would feel comfortable doing that. And so I'm, I'm so glad that I got in back into pageants and did that for myself. Right. Well, it was great. You know, as I mentioned, we came on the second night right. and we got to see you and you had a great crowd. I think you had the biggest rooting section in that, that stadium. And you came out in your beautiful pink gown Thank and you, you just seeing you walk. It was amazing. It was just seeing how far you came was Thank just you. so inspirational. Thank you. How did it feel walking down that catwalk? It, it felt great. It really, really did. Nice. And, you know, you go through so much. Like I said, I, I just never felt like I was going to be comfortable in my own skin again mm -hmm. after everything I had gone through. Um, losing the weight, gaining it back, you know, the surgeries, the, the hormones, the chemo, the radiation, like it just takes such a toll on your body. Mm -hmm. um, I never expected to feel comfortable like that in my skin again. And it, it really did feel good. I, I felt very accomplished. Outstanding. Yeah. 
Outstanding. All right. Are you ready for the sexy <gasps> final question? I am. I'm going to ask all my listeners, my listeners, thank you. Remember, patience, I'm new at this. I'm going to ask all my guests the same uh, questions at the end of the podcast. So, Jennifer, meal of a lifetime. Oh, wow. You know what's so funny? I, I'm very basic. Really? <laughs> food it's so funny i like my pizza plain okay. i don't like a lot of sauce on things um i know it's very i'm surprised funny. i know um i i love cheese i love bread and i love marinara sauce so for me if i could have some like melted mozzarella and on a good piece of bread and oh. dip that in some like homemade like marinara sauce you're good? I'm good. You, that, for me, I could live on that. Really? I know. You know I I've, know it's so crazy. I've like known it. you for a decade. I'm, I'm surprised by this answer. I know. I'm very basic when it comes to food. I like things kind of plain. I like, I like a fancy presentation. Oh. <laughs> I, 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 I do like a fancy presentation. But, I, yeah, I like some really basic, okay. good food. I t- you mentioned cheese. That drunken... Goat cheese? goat. Oh, that. No, the best is that espresso bellavitano. Oh, that stuff is crack. Yeah, I could, I could eat that, like, by the block. I could eat brie cheese, like a wheel of brie cheese by myself. What? No problem. What? No See? guilt. Yep. <laughs> I know. It's, I'm all about, yeah. I didn't All know about that. it. Love mm-hmm. it. Okay, question number two. Favorite board game? Clue. Clue? I love Clue. What do you love about Clue? I love the, like, the mystery and, like, trying to, like, figure it all out. Yeah, isn't that, I love Clue. I think Clue is, like, the most fun game because, yeah, there, there's some mystery to it. Like, you don't know, is it Colonel Mustard? Is he oh. in the library? Does he have the candlestick? I, yeah, <gasps> trying to figure that out. I'm all about the murder mystery stuff. Ooh. Yeah, big I, on murder mysteries. Have you ever done, like, an escape room? No, and I want to. Me I've heard too. That would be fun. I think we may need to do that. I think we would have a good foursome, too. I know. I'm all about the escape room. I think that would be really, really fun. Oh, we should yeah. try that. I like it. All right. <clears throat> First song you remember ever liking, like you hear, you heard it on the radio, and you're like, oh. And I liked it. You liked wow. it. Wow. That's a good question. I'm trying to think. I feel so old. I'm That's like, okay. What? Well, what? I can give you mine when you think yeah, about it. Yeah, I have two, actually. Oh, good. Uh, my two are Angel by Aerosmith. Mm. And uh, John Cougar Mellencamp. Hurts so good. Really, girlfriend. When those songs come on the in the rate in the car, oh, watch out! The radio is especially hurts so good. Are you kidding oh, me? Oh, that's so funny. yeah, that's it, a great song. Turn it up. That's a good like you know people at like what song do you crank up? Like yeah. that's a good like crank up, up song. song. Hurts so good. Yeah, you know um I, I will say this um you give love a bad name Bon Jovi oh. Yeah. I remember being young and I remember being like really into that. You give love. A bad yeah, Bon name. Jovi was that was a great album. Slippery one what? Yeah, yeah, it was really good. Living on a Prayer is on that album. Like that's a really good that's a really good one. I w- I would say that's probably one that sticks out in my mind like back in the day. day. 
Let's take a moment and appreciate how well he has aged. Oh, I know. He looks good. He d And like short hair, long hair, he still looks good. He looks good. And he still sounds good too. He just has a new album out called 2020. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh. You need to check it out. I do. Ah. Okay. Next question. Mm -hmm. A movie I need to see. 